Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be back with you again. Thank you so much for praying for me as well as we pray for others. It means a lot to be a part of a praying church. Uh, last night, Jody asked me a question, something she read on Facebook, and here's what she said. She said, listen to this. In three words or less, in 100 years, when future generations tell your story, what would you want them to say about you? How would you answer that? I got to thinking about it and I said, in three words or less in a hundred years from now. And they said, yes. And I said, I don't know, I guess he loved Jesus. And she said, look at this. And Jody had written down the same exact thing for her. She put down, she loved Jesus. What would you say in terms of uh, how people would be remembering the theme of your life, not so much you, but what would you want to leave with your children, with your grandchildren, with future generations? I told Jody, that's exactly what the message is about today. I've entitled the message, The Last Word. What will you leave? What's the most important message that you have to give to future generations? Have you thought about it? I know the Olympics are going, we've watched some of the Olympics, but is it something related to sports? What about social media or money? What about movies or appearance? What is it that you would want to say, I hope they're talking about this 100 years from now? What would that be? I want us to stand in honor of God's word. I just wanna read the first six verses and then we're gonna skip down and pick up the last three verses. Let's stand in honor of God's word and here's what he says in Isaiah 66, verses one through six, the Lord is talking. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Now, if you would, skip down to verse 22. Let's see how he closes out the chapter. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make 
shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who've rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for providing a way for all of us to enter into your family through the finished work of Christ. Thank you so much that you not only died on the cross for our sins as a substitute in our place, but you also rose from the dead three days later. We serve a risen Savior. We thank you so much for that solid rock that our faith rests upon. Thank you for how you've also made a way for us to go to heaven. Lord, uh, all of us know that someday it'll be our last day, our last breath. And so I thank you that you can give us assurance of our salvation when we repent of sin and place our faith and trust in Christ. And so, Lord, help us to heed what Isaiah the prophet was trying to say so long ago, and you're still saying it. Lord, we uh, pray for those who are not ready, those who will not be going to heaven, those who are bound for hell at this moment. We pray that they would turn from their ways, they would turn to Christ and know that it's not our works, it's your grace, it's the blood of Christ that can cleanse and wash away all of our sins and open wide the gates of heaven. And so speak to us this day as we gather into this place together. Lord, may the uh, words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Well, let's look at this passage together. There's five words that I want to share with you uh, from Isaiah that I feel these are to be one of the things that you consider. Consider all five, consider one of them. Maybe there are other things, maybe the gospel, maybe the resurrection, maybe the cross. I don't know what you would say. I want to leave this with those that uh, live beyond my generation. But let's look at what he says. Look with me first at verses one and two. He first points again to the immensity of our creator. You know, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament second. Only Psalms is quoted more often than Isaiah. So there's something that Isaiah said a long time ago that still pertains to today. One of those things would definitely be this passage here. Even Stephen, when they were about to stone him, he said in Acts 7, 48, 49, and 50, these exact two verses, Isaiah 66, verses one and two. Has anyone ever asked you, how tall are you? How much you weigh? Don't worry, we're not gonna ask you that this morning, so relax. But what would you think God would say if someone said, God, how great are you? You know, I think it would be hard for God to put it into words, concepts that we can even understand. And what I see him doing in verses one and two is he's trying to communicate to me and to you. He's trying to say it in a way that we can understand it. And what does he say? He said, well, heaven 
is like a chair. Heaven is my throne. And then he says the earth is, well, it's my footstool. It's like a footstool. And then he says, what is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. You know, there's a group of astrophysicists at the University of Oxford, and they got to thinking about how big is the universe? How big is the heavens? How big would you say space is, universe, and so forth? Well, these group, this group of uh, astrophysicists at the University of Oxford said, we know how much we can see, but we're convinced there's way more than we can see. They did all their data and all their scientific formula and so forth, and what they came up with, they said, it must be at least 250 times what we know is already there. So they took what they know is there, they multiplied it times 250, and they said, you know, the universe must be seven trillion light years across. But you know, I thought it was interesting that they would say, we really don't know how vast the universe is. And yet God said, that's like my throne. That's like where I would sit. You know, how big are your problems in your life? How big is your problem? What is it you're facing? You'd say, it's just bigger than I am. It's not bigger than he is. And I think that's what Isaiah, that's what God is trying to say through Isaiah is, I've got this. I am way beyond the size of earth. I'm way beyond the size of the universe. That's how large our God is. And that's why he says, it's really ridiculous for us to enter into a conversation about how great I am, because you don't have a scale. You don't have words. You don't have a comparison that would even begin to resemble how great that I am. So let's get, move to the second thing that Isaiah wants us to say. He's only got this one more chance, right? One more chapter. So he wants to talk about the immensity of our creator. But the second thing I think he wants to talk about is the integrity within our character. If you were God, you were the creator, and you made all the mountains, you know, Mount Everest and all the different ones, would you just stand there sometimes and say, look at that mountain? Or let's say you made all the oceans. If you were God, the creator, would you just stand there and, and observe how vast the oceans are? If you were God, would you look at all of the animals, the plants? Would you, would you just behold the stars and just be amazed? You know, as a man, I can remember when we lived in Canada for those six years, Jody and I often went camping and I would build a campfire. And I could just stare into a campfire for hours, just stand there looking at it, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know, there's something mesmerizing about it. But what does God say he looks at? What does God say captures his attention? It might not be what you thought. Let's look at the text together in verse two. He says, all these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but, this is the one, this is the one thing, the one thing to whom I'll look. He was humble 
and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isn't that amazing? Phenomenal that the God of the universe would say, I am so concerned about your heart, the meditations of your mind. I'm so concerned about your character. What's at your very core of your being? Wow. It matches what is written in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. If you've never read that verse, it says that the eyes of the Lord are searching. The eyes of the Lord, he's looking. He's trying to find something that really would impress him. And you know what he says will impress him? Is when he finds somebody whose heart completely is his, whose heart completely belongs to God. He says, that's what my eyes are looking for. Do you know why David was chosen by, by God to be the king? You know, David had bigger brothers and older brothers, but God didn't choose any of them. If you were to read 1 Samuel 16, 7, you would find out God says exactly why he chose David. He said, man looks at the external appearance, but he said, not me. He said, I look at the heart. God wants to see how's your character doing? How's your heart doing? How's your faith doing? What's going on deep within you? And what he said, I'm looking for are these three things. He said, I'm gonna be looking for somebody that's humble. I'm gonna be looking for somebody that's contrite in spirit. I'm gonna be looking for somebody who trembles at my word. You know, whenever you see that about God's looking for somebody that's humble, do you remember what he said through Micah the prophet in Micah 6, 8? He said, I've told you what I require of a man, that a man would do justly. He would walk humbly with his God. They would do mercy. Isaiah's third word, if you move down to verse 3, he confronts double living. I call it incongruity at our core. It's when we're not being authentic. It's like we can come in on a Sunday morning and act like we love the Lord, act like we're a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what about through the week? There's a discrepancy. There's an inconsistency. And what God is saying is the reason he calls us to walk humbly and with contrition is he knows we're broken. He knows we can't do it, but he wants us to be transparent. He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be real. And so that's why he's calling us to a consistent, clear-cut walk with God. Not just saying, well, I wanna do all the religious, you know, checks and boxes and check them off. I wanna make sure I'm doing all the rituals. And the Lord says, no, I want you to be honest. I want you to be broken. I want you to be transparent with me. And so it's this incredible call to people in verse three who were trying to do it both ways. They were trying to come on the Sabbath day and do a lot of religious things. And yet all during the week, they were totally godless. They were ungodly things. And that's why you see this, you're thinking, what is verse three about? He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. And it's this back and forth. And what's he doing? He's saying something that's lawful at the beginning, followed by something that was not. Something that was, for example, killing a man, sinful, breaking a dog's neck, meaningless, offering pig's blood, unacceptable, blessing an idol. That's being like an apostate. 
What about you? Are you trying to do it two ways? Are you trying to live a double life? And God is saying, no, no, be real, be honest, be true. Help, let me help you with this. You see, Jesus was more concerned about our hearts than he was about traditions. Traditions especially that are meaningless because they're not real to us. What he wants is, are you a genuine disciple that's trying to follow Christ in everyday life, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you live at work or at school, that's what he's after. And what he's trying to say to them is, you've been making choices. You've chosen your own way. Their soul delights in abominations. And so he's saying, be done with it. I want you to be true and consistent. There's a fourth word that I think Isaiah would want me to say because it's written right here. God would want me to say it. Iniquity will show up again on our calendar. There's a passage in Numbers. A lot of people know it, but not everybody. Maybe you've never heard this. I want you to write down if you're a note taker, Numbers 32, 23. 32, 23. If you're dyslectic, you may get those numbers reversed, 32 and 23. But here's what it says. You have sinned against the Lord, and then listen closely, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, your, your sin and my sin, our sin, it's never just about that moment. It's never about that day, that night. We will meet it again. If we do not, if we do not repent of it, confess it to God, put it under the blood of Christ so it's wiped away and then it's gone. But if we don't, then he's trying to say, watch out. And that's what they were doing back then. He says, I will also choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. And God says, clearly, hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake, have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar, uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. You see what he's trying to warn the people about? He's saying, don't think that just because you close your ears on the Sabbath day, what he was saying to them, don't think just because you close your ears on the Sabbath day, you won't hear accountability for sin some future day. He said, it will catch up with you. That's why we must bring our sins under the blood of Christ and say, Lord, I don't want to face it. You know, someday you should read Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Hebrews 9, 27 says there's two dates. Everybody in this room has two dates. One date is the day we die. But then it says, what comes after death? Judgment. So if you resist Christ, then when we die, we face judgment. But then the next verse is really good because the next verse also has two dates. One date is the day Jesus died on the cross in substitute for your sins and my sins so that we wouldn't have to go to judgment. He took the judgment upon himself. And then the other date 
is the day he returns to rescue us and bring us back. I thought to myself, thank you, God, for those dates that are on the calendar. Let me close with one last thing. Isaiah wraps up the final chapter with one last word, eternity, or a, a word as popular today, infinity, infinity. Do you know that regardless of whatever chapter you're living in right now, maybe you're a young adult and you're saying, I got a lot of time. I got a lot of time. Maybe you're a teenager or a child. I got a lot of time. Or maybe you're a senior adult. You say, I still feel good. Hey, I'm not worried about crossing over. I just want to remind you of what he says in these last three verses. He doesn't use the word eternity. He doesn't use the word, you know, infinity, but he does use the word remain, remain. You see, here's the, this is the truth from scripture, okay? This is the truth. The truth is your soul will remain. Either you will continue beyond death in heaven or you will continue beyond death in hell. And that's what these last three verses, the last thing he could say, it's his last opportunity to step up to the mic for the generations and say what the Holy Spirit was telling him to say. And so what he said was, there's an incredible place of restoration. As a matter of fact, do you realize, I know Josh would have brought this up when he preached last, but it says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So in heaven, it's gonna continue on and on forever and ever and ever. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. But then it says also, what are we gonna be doing? Well, it says from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is not the last worship service. We are gonna be worshiping in heaven and giving him glory. That's why he made us. And so that's what heaven is all about, endless praise. But the opposite is also true in verse 24, when he says, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. What happens for people who rebel against Christ? What happens for people who rebel against the gospel, who say, I don't need the Bible. I don't need a savior. What are you talking about? He says, for their worms shall not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And so I'm thinking, wow, you know, the Lord is trying to prepare us. Even Jesus quoted the same verses in Mark 9, 44 to 48. He talked about the worm will not die. The fire will never be quenched. Listen, Jesus died on the cross so you would not, so I would not, so we would not have to go to hell and pay the price for our sins. You know, there was another man in scripture in the Old Testament named Joseph. Joseph also, he had one more chance at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 50. He, his brothers had been mean to him, and so he could just think about the past, but he didn't. You know what he did? He chose to forgive. His last words revealed that he was focused not on the past, he was focused on the Father. He was talking about how God had been over all that was going on and that God was working out an incredible plan. And so he focused on the future together with his brothers. You see, here's the truth. You and I, we can't control what's going on around us. You can't control, you'll have to resign. 
as the CEO of the universe. It's not your job, it's not my job. We can't control everything. But you know what we can control? Our words. We can control what we say to a generation. We can control what we say to a family. We can control our character. We can control the commitments of our lives. We can control what we believe. Jesus cautioned his disciples about careless, thoughtless words to those around them. Here's what he said to them in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. What were the last words that you spoke to your spouse? What were the last words that you spoke to your children or your grandchildren? What were the last words that you said to someone in our community, to someone in our church? This message today was intended to cause me and you and all of us, think about it. Don't just say it, think about it and say, Lord, what should I say? What if it's my last word that I would ever say to this person or that person? What is it you want them to know for a hundred years? What is it that is that important to you? Say it to them, say it to them. Let's pray together, would you join me? Lord, thank you so much for your great love. You know, Lord, you actually love us enough to tell us the truth. I'm glad of that. Thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you don't beat around a bush. You just go ahead and tell us the way it is. That way we can adjust our lives. We can follow you. We can trust you. And so thank you so much. Thank you that all of these years, thousands of years, the Bible has been proven true, true, true. Every generation. I know certainly in my generation, certainly in my life, I would say to, to this congregation and before all the hosts of heaven that your word is true. Your word is true. And so, Lord, help us, O oh Lord, to trust you in what you've said. Thank you for the things we've learned from Isaiah. You gave us one last word today. Help us act on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.